The Beard is an entertaining new novel about a working-class Jersey boy coming to find his identity in the cutthroat world of Los Angeles. Stay with us here at Book Circle Online as we get ready to gab with the Beard author, Alan Sawyer. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. That's fantastic. So, Alan, welcome to the program. Pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to take a few minutes here and uh, introduce both myself and yourself to our audience. Uh, my name is Katerina Kazayas. I'm your host today. Welcome back to another edition of Book Circle Online. And uh, it's my pleasure to have with us in the studio today an eight-time award-winning documentarian. He's also been a writer, a producer, a director in both television and film here in Los Angeles. And now he can add author to his repertoire. <laughs> the new and entertaining novel, The Beard, is out on bookstores now, in bookstores, and of course Amazon. Absolutely. Alan, what I'd like to know is, how do you go from filming documentaries to writing fiction novel? <laughs> I do things backwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, people start writing, writing fiction right. and then move into, into showbiz. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, I'm contrary and always have been. This came about in a funny way. I started, I always wanted to write fiction. Mm -hmm. When I started, when I started doing documentaries, and I'd done a lot of scripted films and TV before that, I started doing documentaries during uh, one of the big strikes here in Hollywood. Mm. Because I was, why? Because I could. Right. Uh, and I realized that if I hovered over my editor while he or she was trying to cut the film, mm -hmm. I slowed things down tremendously. So I said, let me try to write some fiction. And lo and behold, <laughs> I started writing short stories. And to my amazement, yeah. people started buying them. But, but buying them is what you want. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you know, it, more than buying them, it, the whole point with making a film is to have people see it. With yes. writing fiction is to have people read it. Mm -hmm. And w because I had a measure of success with the short fiction, yeah. which including one that's been, that I've just adapted that I'm going to shoot as a feature film in France, which mm -hmm. we could talk about. Sure. But on a trip back from China... Uh -huh. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I, you know, I was, it's on, a the, long flight, I was on the plane for about 50 hours, yes, you know, right. it felt like. And I, th I thought, gee, I've got an idea for a novel. Huh. Do I have it in me? Do I have the guts? Ooh. Do I have the staying power? You know, short story is like a sprint. Uh, yeah. A novel is, is closer to a marathon, yes. though I didn't write a particularly long one. Um, but anyway, I had this idea and I yeah. said, here goes nothing. And my film editors were very, very grateful because I didn't hover. <laughs> you stayed out of their way. Absolutely. Now, you're from New Jersey originally. And the character, our protagonist, Calvin Sands, is also from Jersey. How much of Calvin is based on you? <laughs> He's considerably younger. <laughs> and uh, in, in contrast to me, I came out here to be in showbiz. Okay. He came out here today, in t among, among young people today, mm -hmm. movies and TV and, and even the music business are far less sexy than the internet business. And the internet business is what this book is about. So it's, it's for our guests at home that may not have read it, it's a Effectively, an eight-week synopsis look into the life of Calvin Sands. Exactly. Who, again, travels from New Jersey to become an intern at a highly competitive dot-com tech company. In Santa Monica. Based in Santa Monica. And uh, within you know minutes of entering his first day on the job, he's in a room with a bunch of other interns, and he gets... 
Within six weeks, one of you is not going to be here. <laughs> yeah, look, and, uh, you know, look, the race begins. Right. Look to your left. Look to your right. right. One of you will be gone. Will be gone. Yes. Yeah. Why write about, uh, why, why set it in that, uh, in that field? Because to me, it's, it's far more, it's, far, it's, it's what people aspire, young people seem to aspire to. It's mm. much more enticing. Movies, when I came out here initially, yeah. movies were really the thing. Yeah. There were great films. The, films people, the sense of anticipation was astonishing. Um, today, most films, sadly, and there, while there's still some good films, most of them are what I call kind of product we have sequels and prequels and remakes, and, and they, they, they coin all these phrases. And, and most importantly, movies today seem to be about branding, sadly. Mm-hmm. It, is cre- I was going to say, uh, about branding, is creativity dead then, do you think? No, creativity is not dead. It's just much harder to get it done. I mean, there, there's a, a crazy irony. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, to write a novel meant working in pen or with mm. a manual typewriter or an electric typewriter now it's really really easy yes um i haven't seen the new gravity's rainbow have you no, i haven't no, seen I haven't. the you know yeah. uh, marcel proust mm-hmm. same thing in music mm. uh louis armstrong they had to get they had to get the entire band around the microphone position mm-hmm. properly one mic you had to do it in one take and with Ray Charles, I remember at a certain point, he was doing state-of-the-art, two-track. Well, you produced uh, one of the albums for Ray Charles. A, a, a collection of love, sto- love songs, and Ray was a very close friend. And nice. Actually, Ray was part of the inspiration for this book. Okay, how for, so? He and I were very close, mm-hmm. and he used to say, man, you speak well, you write well, mm-hmm. when are you going to write a book? Uh. And I said, oh, one these days. And he'd say, and he would always tease me, you know, one these days doesn't come unless you make it come. And sometime (laughs) after his death, I thought, you know, he's right. And uh, so he was in many ways the the spark, the inspiration for my doing it. He's been an inspiration to a lot of us, that's for sure. To me, he's the the artistic genius of the second half of the 20th century, and and yes. also a really wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't say. I wish the Jamie Fox was wonderful, but I wish the film had done had done better justice to Ray. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I I enjoyed the film. I thought <clears throat> Jackie had done a phenomenal job acting in that role. Oh yeah, Jamie is but great. But I wasn't as familiar with the story yeah. as you likely have. But have we, been. we, I won't, I won't step on people. Okay. <laughs> I will tell you that the people around Ray are yeah. not exactly thrilled with the film. Oh, but interesting. That's okay. not Jamie's fault, and it's sure. not, certainly not the music's fault. Right. Yes. Well, certainly not. <laughs> now, speaking of speaking of um, deviations in your career, yes. I wouldn't call them deviations. I would say they're. Uh, sort of like the World Wide Web, you just kept branching out and branching out and branching out. Um, you were a showrunner on Baywatch back in the 90s. <laughs> Which we call how art. Much, how much fun was that? Art for art's sake. <laughs> yeah. Anything to do with Pamela Anderson in my world is art. So we're, we're good there. Uh, explain to the audience what a showrunner is, first of all. Showrunner is basically the person who, who makes the, the series go. Mm-hmm. He lives, as I say it, in the past, the present, and the future. Yeah. In other words, the past because he's busy overseeing the edit of what's been shot. Okay. The present because he's got to make certain that everything that's being shot goes well. And the future because he's got to make sure that the script and uh, the scripts for future episodes and the casting of guest stars is all in place so and that uh, series ran for almost 11 years were you part of it the whole time or just no i was stage? asked it was on it was on a net it was a network show initially for one season okay yeah and it was dropped oh. and the guys who owned it owned the rights yeah. 
tried made an attempt to revivify it and they said they asked me to come in and help them be part of that and uh since i'd never done series tv i figured you know to enter as the boss is the right way to do things (laughs) (laughs) no tanning your kids out there just make sure you become the boss fantastic any uh, behind the scenes stories you can share with us Anything uh, that sticks out? <laughs> I'll tell you one funny bit. Um, there, I want, there, there was a program that run by the lifeguards called the Water Program, which okay. was to get inner-city kids to the beach. Okay. There are lots of kids, hmm. sadly, in places like East L.A. and Compton mm-hmm. who've never seen the beach. Oh. And I thought it would be really great to help them by promoting it on the show. Yes, yeah. Um, so I I got in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were delighted because they need attention. Yeah. I said, you know, what we I, there are two things you should do. You should take in, you should take in not non you know non poor kids and make them pay to subsidize. The, 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 the yeah the kids, kids who can't okay. afford it but I said also let's do the show so they said great and Hasselhoff mm-hmm. came to me and he said um, you know I think I have to go to Europe can okay. you make it so that write my character so that he's on uh, on screen only for four days you know I, so I, I work only for four days this week instead of five mm-hmm. the next day he said how about three instead well, of four <laughs> then two of instead of three then oh, wow. one so ultimately. Uh, he his role was, hey guys, there's a problem. Will you get on it for me? <laughs> um, so he was he was somewhat aggrieved mm. when the sh- when that episode broke all records oh, uh, yeah. without him. And and the way that first run syndication works is that it aired Monday night and then aired again on Thursday night. Okay, yeah. And Thursday almost doubled Monday. Oh wow! So David and I weren't on speaking terms for a while after that. Yeah, <laughs> not my not the biggest <laughs> loss I've ever had. <laughs> But I mean, I, the book is more important to me than I, I was, I was going to say absolutely. Can um, the the book part of the underlying themes? I um I produce a a segment called Global Gab, mm-hmm. where I gab about international top trending events and global issues. And one of the themes, global themes, is definitely this this need, especially in your early twenties, to succeed exactly and to make your way up that corporate ladder. Talk to me a little bit about um. The or actually, if you could share with our, our viewers sort of a synopsis of the story of Calvin. So he gets to Santa Monica, he gets into this company as an intern, and then well, he realizes that he's been he's there basically as a tackling dummy. Hmm. That he and several others were brought as are in. most interns exactly. <laughs> no, but that, that a certain number of people have been pre-selected. They will be promoted, hmm. and they are they have better cachet than he does. Hmm. And most importantly, they're the sons and daughters of the rich and famous uh-huh. of the the powerful. So he has to find a way to make himself indispensable, mm-hmm. which he does. I'm I'm not I don't know if everybody I, knows. I was, was going to say well, you can go ahead. Yeah, well, I don't know if everybody knows the colloquialism of what a beard is um but let's just say that this is (laughs) that he finds himself in a world Mm. of incredible ambition yes huge stakes Mm -hmm. and and also a little bit of love a love and lust love and lust (laughs) Uh, this book has been compared to the uh, the gatsby for the dot-com generation I was I was very flattered to see it when that, when oh, that was yeah. said. It's a, it's a it's a very fun read. The um, the the competition, as we say, and, yes. and your your drive to 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 move forward. How much of that is a fine line between keeping your integrity 
as a professional and doing things that you know if you do them will get you above board, but doing it is really an underboard act? That's a really great question because part of that was one of the things that I really wanted to explore in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, what price success? Mm. And he finds himself not only indispensable, but uh, on the fast track. Yeah. Uh, and he's and until he really falls for someone. Right. And then he's got to come to terms with not only who he is, but who he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these the people he wants to follow? Or does he want to be somebody who can look at himself in the mirror without grimacing? Yes. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting read. We're not going to give away any more than that because it's <laughs> worth reading. Uh, what I'd like to do for a moment is go back to the music because you were also part of one of the very first rock and roll biopics you worked on the Buddy Holly story. <laughs> when I was 11. That must have been fun. <laughs> Were you really 11? No. I oh, was I was going to say. <laughs> wow, you got in early. I, um, that, that was really fun. I, okay. I grew, music largely saved my life. Uh-huh. Um, interestingly, it was more black music than white music, but Buddy was in love with the same black music I was in love with, so it, it worked. And it's always fun to work on a project that you enjoy the music of. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean... Um, my, I, I, I always tell people that I had the great and good fortune to be born very poor, Mm. which meant that I had to learn how to do things on my own. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that was important to me, my, uh, dinner at my house was not exactly fun. The smoke filled kitchen and waiting for the explosion when my mother went, would like Mount (laughs) Vesuvius would erupt. Uh Um, so my second home was a soul food restaurant around the Mm. corner with the best jukebox in the world. And, and you just listen to music all day And food long. that had taste. <laughs> but, <laughs> no offense, Mom. <laughs> but the book, as, as you saw, the book has lo- lots of references to the kinds of music yes. that I discovered in that jukebox and later, fortunately, got, got to work with many of those same people, which was really a thrill. The book is actually a great reference to uh, a, a, a playlist for anyone looking for some, you know, music ideas for the summer, and also uh, a food list, you've got some nice restaurants you're uh, you're pinpointing. It. How does the LA in this book differ from the LA in other novels? That's that's a really funny question. Uh, I to, to me. I like the L.A. that you never read about. Okay, which is? I, I'm not interested in Rodeo Drive. <laughs> I'm not interested in the Universal City Walk. Mm. I'm interested in ethnic L.A. Yeah. I love the fact that L.A. is a, uh, a conglomeration of neighborhoods. I mean, we have the best... San Gabriel Valley has the best Chinese food outside of China. China. Yeah. Um, we have the the best. We have a great Ethiopian community, mm-hmm. Korean community. K- Korean is yeah. astonishing. Yeah. Um, Armenian. Armenian. I mean, there's so many. Sects. In, in, yeah. Go go to Artesia for for the Indian community, yeah. uh, Vietnamese community right. down in Orange County. Well, and, I know. I certainly, when I spend time in in uh, Los Angeles, I certainly enjoy all of the different options. Absolutely, there are tons. Absolutely, you know, as opposed to the carpaccio of the week, right? I hear you. <laughs> or the ahi tuna salad, <laughs> or whatever cliche. Or, or the kale salad. Well the, well, the kale, kale is. <laughs> hey, kale has made a comeback. Oh, kale, kale, kale. Yeah, it's like uh, Yogi Berra used to say: the place is so popular, nobody goes there anymore. You know, that's how I feel <laughs> about kale. <laughs> Documentaries. I'm going to go back there for a Please. moment because you have been uh, an award-winning documentarian. You've built, or, or not built, I'm sorry, filmed documentaries on everything from uh, Eastern spirituality in the Western world to diabetes to baseball. 
What was your most fun project, or or can you pick one? That's like saying, you know, which which of your kids right. is the cutest. Yeah, um, yeah. I, how did you I, how do you get involved in a project to start? I, half of them came to me. Okay. You mentioned the diabetes film that yes. came to me. Okay. Uh, Bruce Hensel, who's Doctor Bruce Hensel, mm-hmm. who's the doctor in residence at NBC, mm-hmm. asked me to to come on board to, to make that one. Okay. Um, the, I did one about the criminal justice system, an, a, an amazing experiment down in San Diego County. That came to me. Mm-hmm. The others. I either generated my, on my own or with a friend. For instance, my boxing film, uh, I w- the, I'd worked on the diabetes film with a guy named Rick Hildemontes okay. uh, at NBC, and he and I decided, you know, if you're still speaking to somebody after finishing a film, something is right. <laughs> so he said to me, why don't we do something again? And I said, great, great, great. And we sat around, we had a series of lunches, and one day he said, did you ever box? Bingo, that became the film. So he was the catalyst, um, but now I can say I don't need to do any any more sports films. I did a, a okay. movie Baseball about uh, well, right. I did a movie about basketball for HBO called Rebound. Oh yes, with, with uh, Don Cheadle, Don Cheadle and um... Forrest Whitaker and James Earl yeah, Jones. Yeah, how was that? Oh, it was great. It was great, uh, except for the fact that HBO wouldn't let us shoot in uh, in Harlem, so we had to dress the streets of Canada with litter. Uh, <laughs> take that, HBO. <laughs> I'm guessing you were probably up in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's... Uh, and I had a... I, I, because of political correctness, it was yeah. it was chosen. It was decided that it should be a black director, and the only mm. downside of that one, and I'll you know, uh, was yeah. that he said to me, "What what kind of music do you envision?" And I said, "Well, in the days of Earl Manigault, the goat, um, right next to the basketball court was a bunch of guys singing doo wop." Okay. And when he said, "What's that?" I knew I'd lost. Wow. He said, "What do you think about Motown?" And I said, "Lovely music. I really like a lot of it, but." Not only is it geographically in, uh, inappropriate, it's yeah. also and it's also anachronistic. When he said, "What does that Meaning, mean?" Yeah. I knew I lost. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> he wasn't as smart as you are, <laughs> or as good looking. Oh, thank you. I'll take that compliment. <laughs> oh, I'll take that one. We were talking about uh, the south of France. So one of your new projects. You're now going again from author. We'll come back to the book yes. in a moment, but from author back over to filmmaking. You're going to be in France in the fall. Hallelujah. I, I was approached by uh, through a friend named Billy Vera, whom you may know or know of, okay. Billy and the Beaters at this moment. Mm-hmm. He asked. He said that there was a, uh, a French producer who was looking to, for somebody who was bilingual okay. to, to direct a short piece here. Sure. So she and I met, got on, and she loved the result. We had a great time doing it. And she said, you've got to come to France and direct something for me there. And okay. I said... I think there are a lot of directors in France already, and they're <laughs> on site, and you don't really need me. She said, well, what can we do that would be special? And I said, something about an American in France. Uh-huh. She yeah. said, help me find something. Uh, and I said, I, I mentioned the short stories I'd written. Yes. Two of them take are largely autobiographical and okay. are set in France. Because you had spent some time in France as a youngster. I had the best job in the history of the world. And that was? I wrote the Paris section of a travel guide for the youth market for for Simon & Schuster, which meant that I was the only impoverished American in France with a mandate to do everything imaginable and 
Guess what? Ooh. A credit card. I was going to say, and that was financed <laughs> by someone else. Sign me up. Sign it me was up. Great. So I wrote two short stories based upon that, and she optioned both. Wow. Great. Um, and said, Congratulations. Let's do... Thank you. Yes. She said, one is set in Paris about that, and the other is set in largely uh, in a little village called Ramatuel that you know about, yes. which is outside of Saint Tropez. Mm-hmm. So I just got back from a tri- three weeks over there, casting, crewing, oh, and, nice. and approving locations. So we shoot this fall. I'm so excited for you. There's that. There's a chance I may be in Cannes in oh. the fall in in uh, in September. So if I make it down there, I will definitely hit you up. Uh, well, you've, now you've got to make your Hitchcock moments. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Walking through, right? I got to just do. Uh, now so, that I now that I've met you, you're going to see me in the background. <laughs> now when we shoot in San Tropez, they'll say it's known for for Bridget Bardot and you. There. Uh, you know, and what else would they say? <laughs> what else would they say? That's fun. The um, the filmmaking, did yes. you study filmmaking? Or, or how did that come about? You just wanted to move to Los Angeles? You wanted to get into entertainment? Uh, I actually, when I lived in Paris, I made two shorts. Okay, because I'm sorry, yeah, to, to take it, you went from Jersey to France. Exactly. And then how did you end up from France to Los Angeles? I wanted to come out to L.A., okay. so I wound up, again, I mean, I, I, I have been very very lucky i've mm. fallen into things i wound up teaching french at pepperdine which enabled me to pay the bills mm. and i wound up at sc film school where among other things i taught a course in french film okay then sold a script a spec script uh-huh. uh, I, I met an agent playing uh, basketball in a, in a weekly game on saturday sold a spec script mm. the the person in those days, who taught screenwriting had a heart attack. Oh so my. having uh-huh. just sold something, I became the screenwriting instructor. <laughs> so the screenwriting instructor, that's a little bit of timing, right? That's a little bit of luck and timing. Oh, I mean... And, and I'm, I, I'm sure some talent as well. Oh, who knows? That's, that's for others to judge. Is your family French? Where did the French no, come from? No, the French... I always wanted to... I, I was always a Francophile. I was okay. all, you know, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Henry Miller, all these people who spent time in France. Okay. And uh, when I, at a certain point in time, I said, I'm going to move over there. Okay. And I wound up with a ticket on the SS France that I got very cheaply. Did you took the boat over? I took the boat wow, over. Wow, wow. It's very uh, Titanic. My, I mean, cl- oh, please. <laughs> in keeping with that, my friends took me out the night before, so I was not in great shape when I got on the ship, accompanied by my mother, father, <laughs> oh my. sister, brother, and grandmother, with yes. my mother pointing out all the lifeboats in case <laughs> there was an accident. She was thinking Titanic. And her parting words were, Tip the guy so you can get an early sitting for dinner so that you can get a good night's sleep each night. <laughs> Me with raging hormones. That's all that I wanted, right? So I, I tipped the guy for the second seating, and he said, what would you like? And I said, female. So right. I wound up with a harem. Oh, that's so fun. Including <laughs> the, the one who was to become my French girlfriend. Wow. Who, who is a close friend to this day and whose parents hmm. I saw in Lyon on the, on the drive from Paris. Most down, recently? Yeah, on, on this to, trip. to Saint-Tropez. Wow, wow. For a nice... Short Leon, you know Leon style lunch yeah. of four hours. <laughs> I'm sure they were thrilled to see you after so many years. Likewise, I, oh, I yes. love them. Yeah, yeah. So you had your own little mini Titanic love story. <laughs> I love this. This is great. I got to hang out with you well, a little more more often. And, and it got even better. <laughs> I lived in a place that had no shower. 
Okay. And I discovered how American I really am. Uh, um, I didn't. I didn't really want to be in a communal, you know, in a bathtub sure. used by people who took a bath <laughs> once a week, whether they needed or not. <laughs> uh, so I wound up. I went to the French University yeah. sporting uh, complex, and I said, figuring that okay, I played. They're not going to have baseball, but I played serious basketball. Okay. Uh, they could only have two foreigners, and they didn't want guys my size. So we went down a list of other sports. No, I'm not a skier. No, I'm not a, a competitor competitive tennis player or a golfer. I took up tennis later, okay. but p- guys from where I grew up at that sure. point didn't play tennis. That okay. was a country club sport. Mm-hmm. And finally, we ran out of things until the guy said, have you ever boxed? And I said, yes, I boxed for what was known as the Police Athletic League. Okay. And so I wound up on the French University boxing team, ah. which meant that aside from making a lot of friends and getting great workouts, I could take a swim and a shower six days a week. <laughs> and that would come in handy later on in life when you were doing a documentary about boxing. Absolutely. That was, yeah, that was really the spark yeah. for why I did it. But, mm-hmm. you know, now I've done a film about baseball, a film about boxing, and a film about basketball. Basketball, sure. so uh, <laughs> I can move on to other things there, other there than uh, besides sports, we'll right? Do some synchronized swimming. <laughs> there you go. Um, so we're in France. How do you get to Los Angeles? What triggered that move? I really want, having made two shorts over there, mm-hmm. I thought it would be really fun yeah. um, to try to do it seriously, to okay. try to make films seriously. And I'd and, never been to California, which for me was basically across the street from Japan at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I came out here and um, knowing really no one, and yes. things worked out well. I mean, I, you know, I've stumbled into things, fortunately, for... Well, I, you know, I, I, would, I would challenge you with that, because you've, <laughs> you've mentioned that a few times. You've stumbled in, stumbled in, stumbled in. But I think it's you having taken the initiative and having the courage to make a change. Um, because one of the things, especially when I talk to, uh, to younger people that I try to make them aware of, is the fact that, you know, don't be scared of change. That's Change great. really opens up the world and and makes you a lot more aware on different dimensions. No, I, I, and I, I think, think there's great. too many people that just stay stuck in their cubbyhole because they're comfortable, uh, because it's easier. So I, I applaud you and commend you for branching out into all these really cool facets of your career. Thank you. Well, since we were talking about France, you know, the existentialists had a real impact upon me. Okay. And the, the, the uh, Sartre and Camus and the basis mm. of existentialism mm. is that if you want to make, make it, that only, the only, only good, the only good that can come is from choices that you make, mm. which means exactly what you were saying, taking mm-hmm. chances that mm-hmm. if you stay the same, yeah. your life, you're basically the living dead. Mm-hmm. That it's only by sticking your neck out that any good can uh, can come. Mm-hmm. And um, well, and, and you know, there, there's something to be said for high risk, high reward. I mean, I'm not saying risk at all, but I believe that you're either growing in life or you're retreating into towards death. And so we have a choice as human beings: how alive do we want to be while we're alive? And and, uh, and, and I think we should be alive. And that's basically the. the the thesis behind the, the film, one of the yeah. films that you mentioned, Spiritual Revolution, which mm-hmm. is about Eastern spirituality in the Western world, okay. because Eastern spirituality really embodies exactly what you mm-hmm. said, so I'm thrilled to hear you say it. Mm-hmm. I had the, uh, the, the pleasure of um, sitting down last week with Marianne Williamson. I'm oh, not great. sure if you're familiar with her. Sure, absolutely. And she, um, she, I, I, I'm a fan of her work as well, and, and we had a very interesting conversation about just that, mm. whether you've got a fear-based view on life or a, or a love-based view on life and you clearly have a love-based view (laughs) i try anyway absolutely (laughs) you also spent a little bit of time in the art world i I, once again um fell into it (laughs) miraculously i mean uh i mean for, for instance 
one of the great nights of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if, I'll tell you if, if we have time. I'll tell you a sure. whole story. Yeah. I got I, when I was living in Paris. I got back to where I was staying, and there was a message. Urgent, you must call this number. It was my French girlfriend at that point okay. who said, uh, I've got us into something with my, my, my folks. You've okay. got to come. And I said, I can't come. She said, why not? I said, I have a, the, the school year there. I was enrolled in school to keep from being drafted. Okay. Uh-huh. And I took a course on modern art and had never gone to it. Oh. I went to every museum under the <laughs> and sun. And I've got my finals coming up now. And it, it was an oral, right. and I didn't know okay. what the guy looked like. Yeah. Um, but you could buy the notes. Mm-hmm. And I certainly had read everything and gone to the, sure. you know, lived at the Louvre and all that okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she said, you have to come, you have to come. So I went to it, and it, it I went to the cocktail party before this evening, then okay. then the, the evening itself, and then we went to what was then Leal okay. for much too much onion soup and <laughs> uh, and wine. And I, when I got back to my place, I said, oh, I'll take a little nap for an hour. Okay. Which meant that I slept through the oral exam. Oh, no. And I had a, and I, and I had a call <laughs> and beg for the permission to come in and explain and why. Oh, no, oh, not just to, redo, to explain just, why. Just to explain oh, why. So I got oh, there no. not knowing what the, what the professor looked like. Uh, he was the curator of one of the museums. Okay. And I finally stumbled upon the right person. Yeah. And he said, all this in French, he said, tell me why, you know, I've never had this happen. Right. What Where happened? were you? And right. I said, if I tell you, you won't believe me. He said, try me. Mm. And I I said there was a, a, a tribute to Man Ray last night. He said yes, and I said, and there was this lengthy conversation between Man Ray and Marcel Duchamp, okay. who's my one of my great great heroes. Mm-hmm. And he said, and you know, he started quizzing me about it, and okay. uh, you know, and I explained, you know, that we'd been at Leal, mm-hmm. and it went on and on with him interrogating me. Wow. And yeah, and what language? I said, yeah, if, unless somebody spoke both languages, he or she would be lost because okay. they kept going back and back, forth. Okay. Yeah. And finally, he somebody walked in and said, "Excuse me, you have another meeting." And he said to me, "Forgive me, I must go." And I okay. said, "What about my exam?" He patted me on the back and he said, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> oh no! So he didn't give it to you? <laughs> oh no, that was it. That was oh, the that exam. Was his... He oh, was wow. so thrilled. It turns out that he tried <laughs> to get a ticket for the evening unsuccessfully, and he got the whole play-by-play play from you. Wow. <laughs> But I, you know, but the, to me, the two giants of the art. <laughs> but world, I'm, you know what? I, just to interrupt you for just a moment, yeah. I think he felt your passion. He felt your sincerity. <laughs> he felt your genuineism, and that counts for something, especially as you get older in life. Go on. You were saying well, to me the, at that point, the two great, the giants of the art of, yeah. of the, the world of painting mm-hmm. were Marcel Duchamp yes. yeah. and a guy I think's name is Picasso. Well, <laughs> interestingly. My girlfriend, from who, as I said, is still a very close friend, her yeah. closest childhood friend yeah. has been a friend of mine for 50 years. Okay. His name is Claude Picasso, oh. son of. Oh, no, so, really? And, and I was there wow. when Claude's mom was fixed up with Jonas Salk. Okay. Uh, yeah. Francoise Gillot, who wrote the book. But now I have a new favorite artist, so I've got to mention him. And who is that? My son is wow. a great muralist. Wow. Uh, if you're ever on Windward... Down oh, in Venice, yes. touch of Venice, okay, uh-huh. sixty by hundred foot wall, which has been used in a million things. You know, his uh, artwork music. is displayed right now. Uh, right, that's that's there. Uh, he's done murals across the country. What is his name? He goes by the name, his tagging name, when he did things not so legally of Never. <laughs> <laughs> Jonas Never. He also designed the cover of the book. Okay, wow. Well, shout out to Jonas. 
I will uh, make a point of looking out for it next time I'm down in Venice. Yeah, please. Uh, yes. It's an homage to uh, to uh, the Orson Welles film, Touch of Evil, which okay. was shot on Windward using Windward as Tijuana. Huh. But it's got some some surreal and anachronistic uh, touches, like an Edsel in the middle Are of it. Are you artistic yourself? Where did he get this? Or was that from Mom? I can't draw a, a stick figure. <laughs> <laughs> but but you are. Do you play an instrument? Are you are you yourself musical? I, Aside from just appreciating music, I, I I always loved music and wanted to play and played piano until the point that my mother said, you know, it gives your father a headache to hear you practicing <laughs> that kind of music. Oh, no. You've got to choose uh, between uh. going out and playing ball in the afternoon or playing the piano right after school, okay. which ended my piano playing until many years later when I took it up again. I was going to say, teenage boys, I'm sure you chose the, the ball. Sports <laughs> and raging hormones, come on. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, music has always been a very big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm proud to say that for, I don't know if you know who Solomon Burke was. No. Solomon Burke was the guy for whom the term soul music was invented. Oh, okay. Because he was also a minister, and R&B was mm. considered the devil's music by mm. black clergy. Um, and he was my closest friend for the last 15 years of his life. Oh, wow. I got wow. to work with uh, Jerry Butler, with mm. Billy Preston, with Mabel John, with some really wonderful people. And in fact, uh, a very a very close friend, a guy named Bill Gardner, who uh-huh. does a show called Rhapsody on Black, uh, Rhapsody in Black on KPFK, uh, I co-host with him every so often, so we have a great time together. Well, you've got a nice voice for radio. <laughs> Thank you. With no accent whatsoever. <laughs> My accent in French is actually less Jersey than in English. That, that's funny. I, I noticed you had um, your tribute to, for the book was written in French. Yes. It was that, um, may I get personal? Sure, by all, all right. means. All right, so I'm going I'm to read the tribute. It's, the book is dedicated to Ronnie, and it says, D'obre claire jusqu'à la fin du jour, je t'aime encore, je t'aime, tu sais. That's from uh, a song by Jacques Brel. Okay. Um, the, song, the song of the old lovers, La Chanson de, de Vieilles Amants, uh-huh. and it's one of my all-time favorites. And who is Ronnie? Ronnie is my wife. Good and story. the mother of my two two sons. Fantastic. And did you meet her in France? No, I met her when I first uh, when I first came to L.A. Okay. Um, and, and that helped solidify your life. Here. Absolutely. And yeah. she to this day she's the best. Um, and as it uh, should be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm no, happy she, to hear she, that. She, she's great. Um, and. Uh, uh, the big question is, what do we? Can she come to the shoot in France? What do we do with our dog? What do we do with our puppy? <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. Well, you don't want to um, with a puppy. You don't want to have a uh, a, a situation that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm having a mind blank here. That um, Johnny Depp had oh, right, had when exactly. he had taken his. I think it was his dog down to. Um, down to Australia. Right. Well, unfortunately, we're, the place where we'll be staying while we're shooting doesn't accept dogs. Okay. Because I thought, gee, you know. You could bring, bring it with you, yeah. And, and, and she has a passport you. because she and her the sister. She and her, her sister flew in from Portugal. You got the dogs from Portugal. <laughs> yes, we did. That's great. <laughs> You've done quite a bit of traveling in your life. What other places have you been to? Where haven't I been? Mm. Um, for the documentaries, I've been all through. You know, initially I did uh, obviously because I was living in Europe. I, mm-hmm. I went through most of uh, Western Europe. Okay. Uh, through the documentaries, I've been through Latin. You know, almost every bar- part of Latin America, mm-hmm. including Cuba, three times, which was really exciting. 
Um, and then my younger son lived, well, I, ta- I taught workshops in Singapore a couple of times, so I used that as a springboard mm-hmm. to do other traveling. And my younger son, who's now in D.C., he w- was in China at two, for two different stints mm-hmm. for uh, four years initially and then for two and a half years later after he's, the State Department came and, and yeah. recruited him. Um, so we've gone over there and visited him. What part of him. China was he based in? He was in Beijing initially, and okay. then he was the second time when he was working for the government, he was in Guangzhou. Okay, I've, I've been to Guangzhou, actually. I've spent quite a bit of time in, uh, in Zhuhai, which is uh, right. south of Guangzhou, just north of... Uh, across the uh, the pond from Hong Kong. And, of course, the best thing about Guangzhou is that it's the birthplace of dim sum. And we love dim sum, uh, especially on a Sunday morning oh, for brunch. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you and I have to get along. We're foodies. Oh, hey. You've got to come with us to San Gabriel and see some of these amazing places. Yes. Yeah. I haven't I haven't yet been down that way. Oh, so. re- regional stuff from little villages. Oh, oh yeah. Good. And I love Hunan, too, the spicy, oh, well, spicy Hunan. All kinds of stuff. But, you know, you've got to come. There's a Uyghur restaurant. Okay. You know, for yeah. Jinjiang food, um, great with the their fa- the big dish known as dapanji, which translates into big plate chicken. So, for anyone at home watching this, if you need to, to get some good Chinese food when read you the get book. here, read the, book. read the book. Absolutely. Going back to the book for a moment, how was the uh, the experience of writing a book? Forgetting comparing it to the other projects you've done. Did in you many, enjoy it? In many ways, it was the most satisfying experience ever. I love, I love filmmaking because I love working with actors mm-hmm. or in documentaries. I love in- interviewing people. But I've never felt as free as I did writing The Beard. How come? How so? Um, I didn't have to worry about running time. Yes. I didn't have to worry about technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I could play. I, could, I had nobody. You know, there a set of, in most realms, there are a set of givens. That one internalizes with filmmaking. Uh, well, with with filmmaking t- today, screenwriting pe- uh, instructors, much to my chagrin, will tell you you need what's known as a reverse. Every page with a zero. There are all these rules that Billy Wilder didn't know about, and, <laughs> and he did pretty well. Mm. Um, but this one, I could take tangents. It's about language, yes. and it was uh, it, it was very it, incredibly <laughs> liberating and gratifying to be able to take to, you know to take. Um, not to have to worry about maintaining coherence and will mm-hmm. the audience get it and mm-hmm. or any of those those considerations um and uh i found myself having a great time you know giggling at times uh-huh. and i giggled th- at times reading the book <laughs> thank you that that's the best compliment of all um yeah but i i could be smug i could be sly i could be nasty i could be funny i could uh-huh. be right. um I could get you know get back at people. I could you know I do could you, I could have, tout my favorite music in restaurants. At restaurants, you could take this to a restaurant to read it at. <laughs> if you um if you had someone in front of you and they asked you, should I focus my time on making a film or should I focus my time on writing a book? Would you would you give them that uh, preference? The beauty of writing a book is that you don't need anyone's permission. Hmm. Filmmaking is mm-hmm. a very even even in today's world, even shooting with an iPhone, mm. it's very labor intensive and it becomes very expensive. Expensive. Uh, you need the big budgets. You need the, or the just, cast. Just yeah. you know, even if you're shooting a, a little thing with your friends, mm-hmm. it they're they're serious costs. There's no cost whatsoever in writing a book, and you're the boss. Yeah. And today, fortunately, I was spared this. But today. Uh, 
even if no agent wants you or no publishing house yeah. wants you, you guess what? You can self-publish. Self-publish, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, again, I was spared that, but there, you know, not only is there no shame in that, I, I think that it's really wonderful that people can go ahead and do it. And uh, because art is made... I'm not somebody who believes in private collections of painting because you know they're they're you know the work is then being hoarded yes. painters want their work to be seen and shared F- filmmakers yeah. want their work to be seen mm-hmm. well I, I don't know if you know that van gogh never sold a painting his entire life which is just incredible Chilling, huh? i mean you know and you think back to the amount of, of artistry he had in him right and the devotion and the dedication and not to see even even for a little bit his success no satisfaction wow. and no money yes. you know yeah. certainly life was although clearly you know he didn't do it for the money. No, no. <laughs> it would have been nice to have had it. Wait, well, maybe with, with money, he would have had two ears. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Poor Van Gogh. <laughs> Poor Van Gogh. If you had to, um, if you're walking down the street. Yes. And you ran into your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Don't change. Hmm. <laughs> Go after it with gusto. Absolutely. Don't yeah. change. Don't. The when I decided to move to LA, mm-hmm. my parent, I, as as I mentioned, I grew up relatively poor, okay. and that meant that I had to be a self starter. I you know I mowed lawns, mm-hmm. I shoveled snow, all that silly stuff that you know that I didn't put on the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I never wanted to take anything from my parents, even mm-hmm. college. I put myself through it after by by working and then as a senior. Uh, I had classes two days a week, and I was a substitute teacher the other three days. Oh, New Jersey yeah. being so backward in those days that without a degree, I could still do it. I had enough credits to do it. To, yeah. uh, my parents suddenly decided to the, to display some largesse. They'd made a little bit of money, okay. and they tried to bribe me uh-huh. into, into, into going to law school instead uh-huh. of going to L.A. Uh-huh. And I said, why would I want to do that? And they, I was told that what the words of wisdom was... Yeah. Oh, it'll give you something to fall back on. And I, th- I said, thanks for the wonderful vote of confidence. No way am I going to waste three years of my life in law school. Yeah. Since, you know, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with mm-hmm. the law, though, you know, I'm sure we, you and I can discuss many things that are wrong <laughs> with it. Um, but uh, no, I, I was ready to jump off the diving, the high board mm-hmm. without worrying about a safety net or anything of that sort. I wanted to pursue my you know my dream or dreams actually because i had a whole bunch of them some of them conflicting with each other (laughs) um but uh i i would say you know to my 20 year old self do the same thing and the same thing is is listening to i think that core inner self absolutely because there was something in you that knew i have no interest in being a lawyer i could do that to please mom and dad but i i really don't want to do that and so you stayed true to yourself and I've had a lovely, lovely career, lovely time, and um, many successes ever since. Hopefully, a few more. I mean, I've got, I've got a documentary in the can. I mentioned yeah. Billy Vera, and we finished the interviews. I, it's a who's who of the music business, wow. um, from Dolly Parton and uh, Dion Warwick, yeah. Mike Stoller of Lieber and Stoller, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Smith, who was the head of Warner Brothers Records during its heyday with Van Morrison and people mm-hmm. like that. Uh, really great time yeah. doing that, and. Uh, any more writing in the uh, in the works for you? Do you, do you foresee writing another book? I actually just finished a draft of a, a mystery novel wow. set against a backdrop of, believe it or not, the music business. <laughs> so um, I now 
Uh, I deferred doing anything on it because I was headed to France, so now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with it. Although there's nothing better than sitting in France with some cheese and some wine and some pate and writing away with a view of, <laughs> you know, a view of the, uh, the, the Mediterranean in front of you. I'll, I'll, I'll go do that with you. In, in pa- <laughs> we in, can bring Ronnie, too. Ronnie, right, you're welcome you to go. come with us. In Paris, we, I went... I, the, there's a, my, a great French actress who's going to be in the film, a mm. woman named Marie Bunel, okay. who did two films for Chabrol mm. and a, a film for Tavernier and uh, is in a, a great film called The Chorus. Okay. Um, she and I said, spoke via Skype after she read the script. Mm. We said we need to get together. So I, I, I said, let's meet at my favorite brasserie, a place that dates back to the 1840s called oh. Balzar. And Lovely. she and I had a three-hour lunch there. But at one point, you know, I brought her a copy of, of The Beard. Okay. And she, there's, they have, the Balzar is, is a literary hangout. Okay. And they have framed <clears throat> blow-ups of the, of the covers of a bunch of books. Okay. And she held up mine and called over the manager and said, why isn't this up, up there? Up on the wall. <laughs> and, did, they, did they put it up? Well, no, no they, 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 they didn't because they don't change things. But that led to a woman at a, at a, a neighboring table, a woman mm-hmm. named Noelle Chatelet, who's a great French novelist, ah. saying, you're not alone. They don't have mine up either. <laughs> <laughs> She said, we're too young. And it was, I was <laughs> and you're not dead yet. You still I, I, have two ears. <laughs> you know, you, you're just asking for a lot. My goodness. <laughs> I was thrilled to have somebody tell me that I was too young. <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure having you here today. Oh, Thank really Thank you fun. for being with us. I'm thrilled to... If, uh, if we want to see more of you, is there any... Are you on uh, social media at all? Where can people find you? Facebook. Uh, okay. My post-production ma- uh, supervisor put me on there because okay, uh, <laughs> I was willing to shun it. And she said, no, 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 you no, must not be on now. there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and according Great. to her, I'm, uh, I'm pretty visible via Google. So uh, including a lot of the short stories which get republished Are on they the published? Internet. Are we yeah, can find them on the internet? Absolutely. Oh, I'll, go, I'll go searching. I'm a big reader, clearly, yeah, working here. But... You, you are a really perceptive <laughs> reader so i'm flattered i uh, i enjoy it the uh, the book the beard is on newsstands now it's also available via amazon exactly uh, author alan sawyer with uh, many many projects on the go and uh and again for anyone looking to view this episode from the beginning uh, or view any of our other episodes here at book circle online you can do so at our website bookcircleonline.com you can also do that via itunes ipod and uh, ipod podcast i'm sorry and um, YouTube, always on YouTube. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Katerina Kazayas. Alan, thank you. Thank you so much. Really had fun. Had a good time. Me too. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.